Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Ford Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just it's, they're just <laughs> there's good racing and I enjoy it. Mm. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars for another week. Joining me to discuss, well, mostly Sydney Motorsport Park and the fallout from that, but a whole bunch of other things as well, Chris Jewell. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, Craig, how are you going? I'm going great, as is the editor-in-chief of VRX magazine, Adrian Mussolino. Adrian, I f- last time I had you on, I forgot to get the gratuitous plug out. And, of course, this magazine, on sale now, all about Craig Lowndes' 100 victories in VRX supercars. Yes, it'll be on sale for another fortnight before our Bathurst edition comes out. So, um, yeah, grab your copy before it goes off the shelf and celebrating 100 wins for Craig Lowndes and looking back at his career and all the stats and numbers and great races and wins over the years. So, yeah, um, good positive feedback. So I hope everyone enjoyed it. How important was it that Craig got his 100th win before Bathurst this year? For Craig? Or for your magazine or for publicity well, we, in general? We had everything ready to go once he hit 99 and it was a case of that punching in whatever, wherever that 100th win came and we were ready to go. But... I think for Craig, certainly, it was a case of he needed to get that monkey off his back. After Tasmania, it was really building the momentum and that pressure of when he was going to do it. So it, it was, you know, good in a way he got it over with before the Enduros and then he could focus on the championship. And when you look at his position, he's the only real pro-drive competitor at the moment. So it's good he got that monkey off his back and he focus on banking points. Mm. Now, Chris, one of the most amazing things, and and you've been around uh, motorsport paddocks for a long, long time, the the helicopter incident with James Courtney. Um, uh, You know, just you cannot imagine some of the things that are going wrong uh, in motorsport these days. Yeah, you're right. We seem to be inventing new ways to um, to create a disaster. And when you actually think about the effort that goes into all forms of entertainment and off-track exploitation of relationships, commercial and otherwise. Clearly the, um, you know, the Navy are heavily involved with the pro-drive racing equip and um, you would have thought if they were going to actually force somebody to have a, uh, a pit gantry or pit wall uh, of sorts fall on one of the competitors, they might have gone for someone a little bit further up the field. But it's just astounding, isn't it, really? And it wasn't just James Courtney's pit that was affected by it. Many pits had things that were actually thrown uh, all across their pit apron and pit area. So he was just the unlucky one in the wrong place at the wrong time. But we seem to be hearing a lot about that in uh, the world of motorsport at the moment, people being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's not the macabre, massive accidents that tend to be taking their toll. It's some of the small, more innocuous things that are sidelining drivers and or worse. Yeah, and uh, amazing... Amazingly, how the surround of the bottles, Adrian, was what got away, and and of course then it's impacted on James's rib cage uh, significantly, and and he was in a world of hurt because he went down into an alleyway, not even into another garage. Yeah, very scary accident, and and just you know you think of uh, as Chris said, 
what a freaky situation that was. You know, if he was standing, you know, a metre or two away, you know, would have missed him. And, you know, huge consequences now, obviously, for his championship and his possible involvement in the Enduros. And given what happened in IndyCar to Justin Wilson, you know, we're fortunate that James wasn't worse and he you know, was able to receive the medical attention pretty quickly and get off to hospital and as we speak he's on his way back to the Gold Coast and you know hopefully he can recover and while Sandown looks unlikely let's hope he can get back to the big one at Bathurst. And Chris uh, broken ribs and then uh, I can't even pronounce the uh, technical name but the way that uh, it's been explained is that all the uh, rib was puncturing the lung. Pneumo uh, thorax, I think it's called, or something like that. Yeah, the problem is there's no quick cure for any time you actually have a broken rib or a punctured lung because the suppression of the injury always it, it works in an inward fashion and you have a, a like a green stick type fracture where the rib actually penetrates uh, the lung area and it, it's very difficult to actually get it to re-knit in such a way with anything other than rest and that's potentially going to result in a long and protracted recovery that may be something that James feels more comfortable with out of the car but until such time as he's back in the car we won't truly know the full extent of how well he'll be able to cope with it and uh, it's it's a very difficult thing to overcome unfortunately but um, he's in good hands he's been moved a couple of times and I'm sure that every effort will be being made to get him back to full fitness but you have to expect that absolutely no chance at Sandown and Bathurst debatable and even if he makes it to Bathurst you wouldn't want to be firing up to the Gold Coast a fortnight later to bounce over the curbs of the streets of Surfers Paradise so I think he's probably a longer than shorter odd shot at being any part of the season of endurance. Yeah I was uh, in the same boat I very much doubt you'll see him before Phillip Island I I just cannot see how uh, the injury could cure and and give him in, in a position because uh, a six-point harness puts a lot of pressure on your rib cage. It, admittedly, it goes over your shoulders, but there's a lot of downward pressure on your rib cage because you're getting pulled at significant Gs into the rib breaker of the seat and onto the belt. He might not be a particular fan of coming back at Phillip Island based on some of his previous experiences there. Yeah, and then what's that? You've got uh, well, Auckland, Adrian and Sydney. Do you write the rest of the season off for your health's sake? Well, that's a good point. And let's remember that it's not a long off-season, given that, you know, back in action late for every eclipse. Also, does he get himself right? And obviously, he's been here before two years ago with the broken leg following that accident at Phillip Island. So I think it, it could be a case of just sort of bench the rest of the season and, and get right for next season. And, you know, it's a shame this is the second time in what, three years it's happened to him and he just seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you think back to that Philip Island accident, he was the innocent victim in someone else's accident. So, you know, he deserves a bit of good luck going in the next year. Mm. Well, we need to have a look at some of the on-track action on Inside Supercars right after this break. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, 
know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to have to um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Adrian Mussolino and Chris Jewell. And Sydney Motorsport Park produced uh, some interesting racing. Unfortunately, I can't think we can call it a crowd, Chris. It was more like the attendees there got to see some interesting stuff on the track. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, when you go back as far as when the MotoGP was relocated from what was always a packed house at Phillip Island to what was then known as Eastern Creek, uh, and never did we see anything like the similar crowds there. They built the facility to cope with 100,000 plus, and yet the best viewing place in the entire venue is at the top of Corporate Hill, which no spectator has been allowed to go anywhere near for a number of years. So, yeah, I don't know how they fix it. I don't think they'll ever fix it, to be quite honest. It's just not a place loved by anybody. Night racing, day racing, long weekend racing, you name it, it just hasn't worked. And it's a shame because such a big populace in um, in Sydney that, that love all sorts of different events. But I was talking to one of my young drivers the other day and he said maybe if we you know, had the start line on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, a hairpin down at the Opera House and did a circuit across the rocks and back through uh, the other side of the Lunar Park area of the harbour, we might get a crowd. And he's probably right, but the chance of that happening are... No, on impossible. Or are they? If we can run through the main streets of KL, perhaps there's a way to fix this. But I think the crowd was bigger on Saturday, to be quite honest, when the sun was shining, but Sunday was very, very low. It is tough, Adrian, because uh, they've got their TV package now. Next year is the year of the fan, but they've still got venues that the fans are hesitant to go to unless they're free. Yeah, and this is a problem with... Sydney Motorsport Park and Sydney in general when you compare AFL crowds to NRL crowds, Sydney siders just don't go to sporting events in as big numbers as other, other Victorians or South Australians, Western Australians and you know, we found that out over the weekend stuck in traffic on you know all days going back into the city and when you think of Sydney Motorsport Park there's a free test day at the start of the year Muscle Car Masters is on in, in a few weeks and there are other sort of local grassroots events which are often free. So it's difficult to then ask people to pay as much as they need to to get there and stand in the rain and things like that. And as Chris said, I don't think that event will ever get a big crowd, whether it's day or night, whenever it is during the year. It's just one that I think their supercars will need to accept that it's not going to be well attended. And the pressure, of course, is with Talon Bend, with other circuits coming along that puts pressure on the number of events, Chris, if you've got a circuit that's not drawing a crowd except for a free test day, even if it is in the biggest populace, you have to question why would we go there and race in front? Like not even the artificial signage put on by V8 Supercar Television could hide the, the trouble with the crowd. And it's incredible when you consider the amphitheatre that uh, existed in the days of Oran Park, which never had anything other than healthy to excellent to almost, you know, crowd-bursting at the seams type uh, numbers there. I mean, Mel well remember the Peter Brock finale back in 97 from memory, that it was, you couldn't get in the place. And I think part of it's probably about that amphitheatre feel. And people talk about public transport to, you know, out-placed destinations um, in the Sydney CBD area or the extension of such. Mm. Well, it was no easy to get to Oran Park. Yet whatever the chemistry existed at Oran Park has not necessarily been transposed across to uh, 
to Sydney Motorsport Park, and nor for that matter did it at Amaru Park, but Amaru had largely a very small amount of spectator area by comparison. So there is a formula there. There's clearly a formula there because history would dictate that fans have flocked to the venues in Sydney and the outer environs of Sydney in days gone by, but for whatever reason, um, the Sydney Motorsport Park uh, facility just does not cr- attract a big crowd. And one of the bigger crowds I ever saw there, and the most multicultural, were back in the days of the A1GP. And <laughs> maybe that's part of the answer, that there's a more diverse crowd that needs to be romanced into going to that venue. Yeah, and certainly those A1GP, the two that they had there, were fantastic events. And it, it, a lot of people I know in the media centre when we were talking about it said, people will turn up for open wheel racing. The A1GP was a testimony to that. All right, we need to digress from the lack of people watching at the track to Jamie Winkup getting a win in uh, the sprint. The The question was, was it a case of tyres and the way tyres played out, Chris, or was this Red Bull gelling? Well, I guess if you compare their form of the previous number of years, in which Jamie's won six championships from, I think, nine years of racing with that team, or going on to ten now, that they've been at the lowest ebb they've been for some time, consistently low ebb. So it was only a matter of time before they did bounce back, and I'm sure there's been a Herculean effort gone into those cars to try and get them ready for the season of endurance, where even if you can't set yourself up for a championship win, you can capture a very large free-to-air audience across three events through Sandown, Bathurst and the Gold Coast to to convey the Red Bull message. So they're a sleeping giant at the best of times, and I'm not surprised to see them bouncing back, but it's been a longer rebuild than it has previously been, and that possibly tells you that when they get it right, they'll also hold sway for quite some time. But I think that uh, it's just been a byproduct of the fact that they've had to go back to the drawing board and they're not standing still, chat about you know rotation of cars, rotation of engineers, all sorts of different things going on. And if there's a team that can get back to the winning form as we head into the Sandown event uh, during the course of the mid part of September, it's Triple Eight Race Engineering. If that's enough to beat ProDrive, it's hard to say at the moment based on the widget they have at their disposal. But never underestimate a team with such a uh, a heralded past and. Uh, the success for winning and also the um, the passion for winning. Yeah, that's the one thing for Adrian. You can ride off the season, and, and Roland is quite happy to say, we win Bathurst, and whilst it's not a championship, it's still a important trophy, an important uh, thing to put on the resume. Especially given the last two years where they've lost in last lap showdowns against Ford Performance Racing. So I think that's going to make Roland and AAA even hungrier than normal at Bathurst to make amends for those two years. And Roland is re- really passionate about Bathurst. And when you think of their form at Sandown as well, they've absolutely dominate, dominated there in recent years, even going back to when the 500 was at Phillip Island. It's an event they have really come to own. So they're really, the, you know, they'll be on it at the Enduros. And it wouldn't surprise me if one of their pairings grabbed that Enduros Cup. And, that sort of added real extra dynamic to the championship fight amongst the Pro Drive Racing Australia drivers if the Red Bull cars are amongst it mm. in those three events. And it'll be interesting to see how the publicity machine runs if Red Bull Racing only get the Endurance Cup this year, Chris. Because in the past they've had the Endurance Cup win and, of course, then gone on to win the championship. If their major trophy is Bathurst and the Endurance Cup, I'll be very interested to see how the media spin will say, 
well, Bathurst is more important than all these things put together, and we won all the big races this year. Yeah, well, I certainly have um, the wheels spinning in the background with um, their much-heralded media and communications and tactical marketing team uh, probably bursting into overdrive. But, you know, how many times have we seen them uh, win Bathurst and the championship? And, of course, the last two Bathursts have gone the way of what was FPR and now is Pro Drive Racing Australia. But don't forget for a minute that if they accumulatively win the, uh, the season of endurance and Pro Drive don't necessarily have their cars always filling second place, everyone just thinks there's two horses in this race, the championship could just about reignite itself. There's a significant number of points, 900 points, in fact, spread across those three weekends. And you don't have to be far off the pace or far out of the window of operation uh, to allow somebody to fill that breach. So I just will never write them off. And I know mathematically it doesn't look like they're a genuine chance to win the championship. But uh, let's start talking about that perhaps after the uh, Sydney Olympic Park event in the early, early part of December. Mm. And the thing to remember there as well is that we have an extra event after the Enduros, given that um, Pusasoli has moved into November. So previously we've gone from the Gold Coast to Phillip Island to Sydney. So there's been only two events post-Enduros. Now with that third event, and one which is a bit of a wild card given you know, that track and, and the, the great racing we've seen there, I think that could really, that, that's where the championship could be decided and that could be a bit of a wildcard event leading the Sydney. And one man who's certainly tossed up what was being talked about certainly as a winter bottom lay down Mazaire championship is his own teammate, Chaz Mostert. And it would be interesting to see the dynamic if Mostert can have a good endurance cup now, how the uh, winterbottom Mostert dynamic will be in the team because I guess Mark had been number one by a long shot, Chris, and you know all too well in team land that uh, it doesn't take much to upset the uh, balance if uh, the number, the perceived number two or junior driver starts showing the boss the uh, way around. Yeah, and you could see that even in the final race that... Um Sydney Motorsport Park on Sunday when Chaz was, you know, largely not not stroking the car around, but he was driving it consistently and cleanly. And Mark was mired down in the pack, and an excessive risk for Mark would have potentially invited more points to go the way of Chaz. So your mindset does change when you actually do have moments where you're outside the top ten, and that's what we saw last weekend with um, with Mark. Admittedly, he was helped back through the pack somewhat, and um, you know, and he felt somewhat aggrieved about that, as did the team. But you know. It, you look at the what-ifs in motorsport, and everyone's got a book full of them, but you know, Chas Mostert was running from memory P4 or 5 on the last lap of the Clipsal 500 in what was a 150-point uh, uh, haul that he potentially was, was going to be part of. Had he finished where he was running on the last lap of the Clipsal 500, potentially be only a handful of points behind Mark Winterbottom. And I know it's an if, but maybe. So, too, the fact that he threw away a race win when he was in leading by commanding in commanding fashion at uh, Winton. So just two events, and he could already be leading the championship and the difference is you've got one driver who doesn't appear to be frustrated by the pressures of expectation within his mind nothing much to lose whereas Mark's been doing it for so long and finished second so many times and in the top five so many other times that he's probably tippy-toeing a little bit to try and cement that um, that championship win that he's never had before so yeah, it's on it is well and truly on and I think it's going to expose a very new dynamic across both of those both of those personalities. Mm, Mark Winterbottom's column in V8X ahead of the Endurance Cup might be an interesting one, Adrian. Yeah, well, he um, he knows very well that the pressure's on him to get that championship, and whenever you speak to him, there's that 
motivation. I think his quote in the upcoming column is that he won't even consider retire- retirement until he gets that number one and he's more determined now than ever to get it. And so many years playing bridesmaid to Triple Eight, you know, has made him very hungry. And here comes this young Charger teammate who, you know, with his fearless, you know, speed has been able to, you know, creep up to him. So it is going to be a fascinating dynamic and their relationship has only been positive up until now and um, they get along well off the track. And so that will be fascinating to watch. And as we said before, if Triple Eight are coming on strong in the latter half of the year, that throws another dimension in the battle. And it's not going to be the Pepsi cars running away with it as we thought might have been earlier in the season. And what happens if the Mostert Pepsi car beats the winter bottom Pepsi car when we know there's only, well, when we believe, Chris, there's only going to be one Pepsi car next year. (laughs) Ah, well, yeah, let's worry about this year rather than next year, (laughs) but um, you'd have to expect or anticipate that the commercial department of ProDrive Racing Australia are probably fielding some inquiries and chasing some new opportunities because, you know, they're not only dominant at uh, championship level, they're dominating in the Dunlop series with, uh, with Cam Waters as well, so... I don't think they'll be short of commercial partners, at least showing enough interest to warrant uh, enthusiasm for next year. But yeah, most importantly, they, they will want to get a championship win and, uh, and close the book on that. And if they can go Bathurst, Bathurst championship and possibly even another Bathurst this year, then they'll, uh, they'll you know, poten- potentially be uh, you know, genuine entitlement holders to the, uh, the money that could be forthcoming. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Chris Jewell and Adrian Mussolino. And uh, uh, Chris, you touched on it when we were talking about uh, Mark Winterbottom's weekend, that uh, he was back mired back in the pack a bit further than what he would have liked. And, of course, he felt that he had a bit of help from 1C Lowndes, his main non-pro-drive uh, uh, antagonist. And uh, this is going to be the stewards' inquiry and of the protest is going to be heard before Sandown. So there's this potentially sordid Damocles hanging over Craig Lowndes for a, a few weeks yet. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, the bump and run, professional foul, um, freight training, call it what you like. It's, uh, it's omnipresent in, uh, in V8 supercar. The cars lend themselves to being able to be run toe-to-toe, panel-to-panel, front bar to rear bar, and... Look, you could probably call it innocuous, and I think the outcome was probably exacerbated by the fact that it was a low grip uh, with the rain that actually permeated during the course of Sunday. But, you know, you need to work on a, under AFL tribunal scenarios to find out that the stewards or the officiating members can make a decision that can potentially be deemed incredibly controversial, if only to gain media, media interest during the course of the build-up to a big event. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's um, a fairly 
um, significant outcome from that that could well be to the detriment of Craig Lowndes, which is not to say I'm choosing sides, but it would only add uh, increased luster to the season of endurance we're about to go into. But uh, the fact that it's been put away until some time later will allow all of us to continue to talk about it, and that's good for the sport. And But is it good to the sport to leave it to Friday or Thursday at Sandown, Adrian? Wouldn't it be better to do this in the build-up, two weeks out or a week out before the start of Sandown, to have the stewards' hearing and then the decision from the hearing, any counter-protests that might be there, and really helping, I would say, two weeks out, helping build up the uh, momentum and run into the uh, Sandown race? Yeah, I guess, but uh, I think the, the key question here is, rather than the promotional side of what impact it could have for Sandown is, you know, if it can be done post-event and given, you know, when it's fresh in everyone's mind and all the evidence is there and both drivers can have their say, like the AFL, it's best to do in the immediate aftermath of the actual incident. So I wouldn't like to see it drawn out too much and distract away from the Sandman 500 because, you know, leading into the endurance season, there are so many storylines that we can focus on. You know, you have the co-drivers coming in, you have the championship battle, you have the longer races. So, you know, ideally it would be wrapped up in the next week, but it'll be interesting to see how VS Supercars plays it. Well, they're playing it, they're doing it Thursday or Friday at uh, Sandown. That's that's my point. Move it a couple of weeks and get all the extra media from it, Chris. Yeah, it's a bit late. I think you're right. No, I think you're right. It's uh, yeah, to to have it so close, the, the right of appeal potentially is diminished if one was warranted. Uh, although I'm sure that you know, if Roland needed to do so, he'd find a way. Um, you know, when we go back to the championship decide, I Rick Kelly's championship year. I think it was '06, '05 or '06. I can't remember now. Yep, Philip you know, Island. We had the yep. Supercar Gala Awards that evening, and they arrived very quickly after deliberation at a decision that would ultimately allow the uh, championship to be given to the, its rightful recipient in the eyes of those people who were officiating. So, if we can do it because of the pressing need of a gala awards evening, perhaps we can do it because of the pressing need of potentially, you know, departing airlines. So, <laughs> yeah, I think Sandown. It's too long to wait. Yep. All right. Now, uh, Bright, his shortcut. We saw Davey Reynolds do a similar shortcut at Hidden Valley. That pretty much set the precedent. Now, if you if you cart it off, you rejoin at the nearest point. And in this case, Brighty was actually closer to turn eight, I think, is where he rejoined, Chris, than of turn four. That was where the contact was made. Yeah, if there would have been a wall there, he'd still be there. And, yeah, exactly. Um, and that was the same he, for, he Joe, nailed, for Davey Reynolds as well. If yeah, there was a wall he nailed there... the throttle and mm. spun through 360 degrees and was still accelerating when he was uh, heading up the uphill grass verge of, you know, it runs parallel to the shorter circuit, which uh, allowed him to rejoin at the other end. I guess the thing that astounded me was not necessarily the fact that he took, you know, four and a half, five corners out of uh, where he left the road with Shane Van Gisbergen. It was the proximity uh, that he had to the next car on the road. And you talk about redressing things after incidents and reversing positions, etc. I was surprised at a, a measurement over the margin from the race leader to Jason Bright uh, was not reassessed at the end of the next lap or two, and he was told to slow down to re- reflect that. It certainly didn't appear to be the case, and he just kept trucking on. Mm. Adrian, what was your take on the shortcut? I'm actually torn on it, because if we take that incident, you know, obviously Jason was in a position, and he... Was he um, victim uh, of Shane's move and he lost that and you know, readdressed it? But does it not set now a dangerous precedent that this is allowed or can you can get away with it as such? And I just wonder if drivers being drivers might 
you know, knowing this in the back of their head, they might, you know, take advantage of it. And do we want drivers looking for those sort of shortcuts and justifying it and the officials letting it go? I'm not so sure. I think it's a, it could be a, an interesting precedent to set. But wasn't the precedent set at, at Hidden Valley Hidden when Valley. David Reynolds did it, Adrian? Yeah, I, I agree. But this is the problem now that once you allow it once, it, it will happen over and over again. And I, I just fear that it could become a bit comical if drivers just t- not only take advantage of it, but sort of maybe seek to gain an advantage out of it. And mm. well, one the, the track's there for a reason. And, you know, the, the shortcuts are often off track and, you know, where marshals are and things like that. So it's 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 an interesting one. Um, Sort of, you know, I think Jason deserved that podium, and Shane, you know, admitted it was an ambitious move, and obviously it played out perfect for for Jason, but in future it might not be that case. Mm. I, I think uh, it'll be guaranteed. You can't do it at Sandown, and you can't do it at Bathurst. So that's it. the tracks it, will, will dictate the, which places you can do it. That's at. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, so you could do it on. Oh, I don't even know if you could do it at Win. Oh, I guess you could do it at Winton anymore. You could. If you, yeah, most definitely at, at four grade, to about 11, seven. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, even Phillip Island, some places. We uh, that. Southern Loop. Leak back through the pits. I, I tell you what, if you um, <laughs> if you if you get tapped going into Turn One at Phillip Island. You've got more problems on your hand than just rejoining the track, yeah, as we've seen, as we've seen before. Uh, look, we do need to talk about. I think I still think uh, Fabian Coulthard is actually the best of the Holden runners, which it it was probably uh, made to look even better when you had two uh, Brad Jones Racing Commodores on the podium by the end of the weekend. But what's your take on where Fabs is, Adrian? Well, his consistency is been fantastic and you can't take anything away from him and the team. They're certainly punching above their weight when you consider you know, the resources at hand and the level of support they gain um, relative to other teams and we've heard that before with Brad Jones Racing but I think Fabian's really been able to take that team to that next level. The interesting thing now obviously is whether he stays and, and builds on that or, or goes elsewhere and that's he's really the key to the series season next year but you know, when you look at his results this year, it's fantastic from winning a race in Adelaide to consistent podiums. And, you know, he, he he's in that mix and he definitely deserves the top five spot in the championship at the end of the season. Winning the championship will probably be beyond him, but I think a top five would be a great credit to him. Mm. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, look, I, I fully agree. I mean, when you actually take a look at, um, you know, where... He's, he's sitting in the championship um, relative to those around him. Like, you know, he's doing a fantastic job and he did so last year as well. Don't forget that last year he was also placed well up in the championship and I think that uh, Fabian is doing a great job and he's well and truly ready uh, if, in fact, the opportunity exists for him to move elsewhere. Like, he's currently sitting fifth in the championship and obviously sandwiched between Craig Lowndes in third position and Jamie Winkup in sixth. Well, you know, there are times in the past if you're sandwiched between Craig Lowndes and uh, Jamie Winkup in the championship in reverse order, you're becoming second in the championship. So, um, you know, Fabian's been doing it long enough now. He's still young enough that he's got enough fire in his belly that should greener pastures present themselves that he could well be uh, a champ- championship challenger in what some would consider perhaps the twilight of his career. But, you know, he's significantly younger than many of the other drivers in the field, Craig Lowndes, Jason Bright, Garth Tander, Etal. 
So, um, no, I think Fabian's definitely by far and away the most consistent. And you very rarely see that car come into the pits at any point with any significant parts hanging off it. Mm, yeah, indeed. We're going to talk Bathurst Wildcards when we return on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Chris Jewell and Adrian Mussolino. And Chris, I have to talk to you about the uh, deal you've put together to see Rene Gracie and Simona Di Silvestro in the Bathurst 1000 in a pro-drive racing car, so it's certainly in a uh, top-flight car. And um, how did this whole deal come about? Oh, how long have we got? It's, as um, long as we need. It's uh, Look, I, five years ago, presented a document to then um, Chief Executive Tony Cochran about uh, V8 Supergirls, which is getting you know, a V8 uh, driver with a feminine background to come into motor racing to try and reflect the Danica story, Danica Patrick's success in NASCAR. She wasn't even in NASCAR when I started uh, talking to them about this. And uh, it, it has been a, a long project to to groom Renee to even move into mainstream motorsport and ultimately through career cup and now in the Dunlop series. And uh, James Warburton and the rest of the, um, the, the board at V8 Supercars embraced the thinking and Finally, after the culmination of many sleepless nights and long and protracted discussions overseas, we're going to see a two-year program which gives the program some sustainability for both Renee and Simona. And to my mind, having evaluated all of the girls that were available uh, internationally, uh, obviously Danica is not available based on the clashing commitments at uh, the NASCAR event that weekend and potentially wouldn't be affordable. But if you really know IndyCar racing and circuit racing and road course racing, you'll know that Simona is no faint heart when it comes to driving on road courses. And she's finished on the podium a couple of times in IndyCar, had 70 starts, five Indy 500s, won the Rookie of the Year there. And while she hasn't driven many racing cars with the roof over her head, I think she'll uh, be well suited to the demands of a V8 supercar. Having said that, there's a massive mountain to climb, no pun intended, and an enormous amount that needs to be learned. And I think on the back of the fact that Pro Drive Racing is supporting this and fielding the entry for the two girls, having done so last year for Andre Heimgartner and Ant Pedersen, gives me greater comfort that they will certainly have the tutelage and the training and insight into what's required to survive the event, because the first year is all about a week of learning and testing before we try to improve on that next year. So I'm enormously excited by it. We've got some big announcements coming up in the next couple of weeks um, relative to the commercial partners who are new to the sport, um, who are going to be joining this program and in a capacity that will have more than just a commercial partnership with the program. It'll have more of a personal relationship with these girls. So, yeah, it's incredibly exciting. But but I'm also excited the fact that, you know, two drivers who've, who've worked the hardest for longest and so too is their father in Aaron and Drew Russell are also going to be having the chance to become 
the final entry or one of the final two entries at the uh, the Superchip Auto Bathurst 1000 this year. I think they are thoroughly deserving of the opportunity and it adds a nice element and a different dynamic to the whole makeup of this year's October event. And Adrian, interesting to see both the way uh, both of these wild cards have been presented. Of course, Aaron's uh, racing over the last 12 months has really just uh, taken off. He, he too has been under the tutelage of Paul Morris and interesting that uh, Paul Morris working with Chaz Mostert before that Tim Slade now with Renee Gracie he's been working with Andre Heimgardner Aunt Penderson and uh, the like. He's certainly becoming a, a real uh, talent foster and mentor. Absolutely. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for that and you look at someone like Andre Heimgartner this year who, you know, rookie season he's done extremely well to, you know, qualify strongly, race respectively and respectively and get good results and Paul has definitely been part of that. We saw that with Chaz last year and and obviously with Renee he's been instrumental there. So, you know, all credit to him and it's fantastic to see these young drivers get a chance and, and you know, have a chance to race at the biggest event of the year and as we saw from that Super Black Racing entry last year, they will rise to the occasion. And I think that that entry was, you know, in in line for a top 10 before they ran out of fuel in the final lap. So hopefully the wild cards this year can, can get amongst it. And, you know, there's no issues with the equipment and they both have the support of a of a main game VF Supercar team, so I think they'll do extremely well. And he loves it. He he actually gets a genuine kick out of it, does Paul. Uh, thoroughly enjoys putting something back into the sport and you know, 24 Bathurst experiences and starts, I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty of people knocking on his door out of that quartet previously mentioned that we wanted to ask him for his advice during the course of that weekend and uh, no, he's he's beaming at the thought of uh, being part of those programs and also watching some of the charges he's already looked after in previous days. Mm. Now, interesting if uh, I can talk to you about Renee Gracie because I, you've been championing her now for oh, at least six six years, would be safe to say? Yes, six years. Yep. Yep. Um, is the fact that Bathurst is going to be her first main game drive, is this a risk for her future development and what happens at Bathurst this year? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's it's been a risk for drivers who've been significantly better credentialed in days gone by. You know, we've talked about some of those people who've fallen foul of the mountain on first occasion and, and virtually anyone in the field at any uh, event at Bathurst has at some point made co- um, contact with the concrete line circuit, primarily concrete. But, um, look... The reason we, we made it a two-year program was to try and ease the pressure, but not ease the pressure in such a way that you're outside the 107% qualifying cut-off, which means if 205 is a pole, we're talking a 13-3 or thereabouts before Renee can qualify in the field. And she's done a high 12 in a Carrera Cup car, and they obviously do their times in a totally different way, and you get a minimum amount of running in a Carrera Cup car at the mountain. This year she'll be driving in the Dunlop series as well as the main game, and as long as they can maximise the track time without failure or uh, incident in the early sessions, then I'm sure that uh, Renee will be able to do the numbers required to qualify, and thereafter it's really just about learning. Uh, Someone asked me the other day, and I said, look, there'll be no worse than any previous female combination that's been there, and potentially no better 
than the Shannon Showdown entries of Grant Denyer, Cam Waters and Cam Waters and Jesse Dixon. So if we can welcome the Shannon Showdown entry into the fold as a wild card, then I think we too can welcome Renee and Simona into the fold. And as for Simona's performance, I think she'll adapt quite quickly, potentially be the faster of the two drivers. How much faster, I don't know. Uh, because many internationals have been spooked by that 6.2-kilometre circuit up at the mountain. And, um, yeah, we'll just keep working on it. But, but put simply, having a two-year program, we hope, will provide somewhat of a safety net, but the mountain is the mountain. It could rain all weekend. Mm. I guess you'll be sending Simona some uh, new Xbox uh, games because they've just uh, announced that uh, their supercars is going to be part of that package. But uh, just... We might actually, we'll take a break here and be back with more on Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Chris Jewell and Adrian Mussolino joining me, Craig Ravel. And uh, I just mentioned before the break about Xbox. Uh, they've announced their partnership with V8 Supercars. Of course, we'll see an Xbox car back at the mountain this year with uh, Scott Pye and Marcus Ambrose at the wheel for the entire, I should say, uh, Endurance Cup. But Chris... This is an interesting one that uh, the DJR rolling sponsorship all year. We've seen them running through a number of different major supporters on the car. Yeah, I think there were a lot of people expecting something a bit different. Um, not that anyone predicted it was going to be Xbox returning to the fold again. I appreciate that because, of course, they were part of Marcus Ambrose's uh, return to the fray at Homebush last year. So I think it's great that we had that continuity of a global brand at a good time. And you know, they also supported... Uh, the Matthias Extra Mandy Prio entry, which to my mind has been the best wildcard entry that's ever appeared at Mount Panorama. In fact, if not for a late race puncture, they might have even made the podium. So that's no, great to have them back. And uh, the car looks very similar. Uh, very hard to pick the detail changes to the car last year. But I think you'll see a little bit more of these rolling sponsorship programs over time. I know many of the brands we've seen on the DJR Team Penske entry are house brands of Roger Penske's global, global business conglomerate. But that doesn't mean that um, there's not going to be some opportunities for other sponsors to join the fray and, and work through a similar system. And I know there are many commercial partners and directors in the background who are trying to replicate what we see as commonplace in NASCAR with rotating colour schemes across a long season uh, program. So they may well be setting the scene and the trend for the, what lies ahead in the V8 supercar commercial world. Adrian, where are you on this I think it's definitely the future. When you look at the current TV arrangement where you will have six events on free-to-air and the rest on delay, it's inevitable that you can gain more from a sponsor from those events than the others, and I think teams will take advantage of that. And Obviously, it works for DJR Team Penske because they can rotate between their own brands and other sponsors such as Xbox or Shell. Other teams don't have that luxury, so it will be interesting to see who takes it up and who doesn't, but certainly from all the indicators are that, you know, DJR Team Penske has seen a gain out of that. Obviously, they would have used that strategy through NASCAR and IndyCar. It's definitely, I think, the, the way to go, especially with the TV arrangement. I think that that sort of helps sell it to the sponsor. Those six events will become a lot more valuable now than just, you know, uh, you know Winston or a Barbagallo Raceway, which is you know, exclusively on Foxtel and would be a harder sell for a corporate sponsor coming on board. Mm. All right, uh, just 
talking television as you uh, started us off perfectly there. Seven, going to run another Shannon series. And interesting, Chris Jewell, it was filmed last weekend. Um, Neil Crompton, of course, his company's involved, but he's not involved because he's got uh, other contractual arrangements this year. But uh, they're looking at the uh, certainly the uh, 70s and the Bathurst years and uh, Mike Raymond, Mark Osler and uh, a lot of the seven team coming together to talk about the innovations and technology which really changed the face of motorsport throughout the 70s and 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Like, unashamedly, uh, Australia, you know, invented the race cam. Uh, It was an ungainly device, but it certainly had the desired benefit. And uh, Australian sport has, for many years, been uh, televised in a way that's been deemed to be the leading sports telecast globally. And and I don't say that with any uh, particular parochialism. It's just a fact. So... Um, you know, last year's uh, program was very well received, had massive cut through. Clearly, Shannons have seen a reason to uh, to return, so they wouldn't have done so if they didn't see that there was going to be a definable benefit of their association with something like this. And I know how many hours goes into uh, to putting some of these things together, and many of the the, 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 um, the feature pieces end up on the cutting room floor, or the, the enormous amount of footage only conveys a small part of what actually went on. We're very fortunate that we're working in an era where largely but not necessarily across the board. We're largely fortunate to have a lot of the stars still alive and with us today who can actually you know, rejoice and uh, reflect on some of those halcyon days. And I think that gives it all added luster. And you're right, you know, the, the Gary Wilkinsons, the Mike Raymonds and the Mark Oslers and, and you know, heaven help us, the Doug Mulrays of the world uh, can potentially also be part of that equation. And yep. I think it's topical. It's a tonic, it's well-timed and clearly well-received. Yep, and uh, also uh, some of the drivers, Kevin Bartlett, Fred Gibson, um, and uh, also Alan Moffat, um, and a whole bunch more. So it's it's going to be an interesting series. Aaron Noonan and uh, I think Bill Woods are uh, fronting this year's Great. edition. Uh, the Brock Miniseries, Channel 10, in 20, I think it's 16, Adrian. Going to uh, roll that one out. A good Canberra boy is going to play the lead, being uh, Peter Brock. And uh, I'm just wondering, is this going to help promote motorsport? You'd think it would. Obviously, it's going to reach a much bigger audience than the series does, a very different audience. And they seem to have success with the NXS miniseries they did. And I think there's another one coming out next year before... Um, Peter Brock does and it'll definitely be interesting to see what sort of angles and focus they take on his life and obviously there's a lot of different aspects you could um, let's hope they do it justice obviously we know the story very well and the, the, the hardcore motorsport fans do but mainstream Australia might not know much of the whole picture of, of his life and career and hopefully it does it justice and it would be great if that could result in increased interest in our series and that's you know we've been discussing the shannon series you know it's, it's fantastic to see the sport embracing its heritage and its past and it's done that a lot better in recent years than in those early years of vs supercars where it was very much about just focusing on that ford holden battle from 93 on there's a wider bigger history here that needed to be embraced Mm. All right, a break and then a final thought or observation here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought or observation, Adrian Mussolino. Yeah, well, it's just great to be heading into the season of endurance. I think for most fans, this is where the season really, really ramps up, and it's great to introduce the co-drivers, and it's just those three events have something special about them. It's, you know, maybe we should look to expand the season of endurance in years to come because those three events really do stand out. Chris Jill? Yeah, like as a Melbourne boy who was always brought up on what was once the Tasman Series for open wheelers and then back to Sandown in September for the old man champs round and the uh, the, the endurance championship. Um, I never was particularly comfortable when it started at Queensland Raceway nor even at Phillip Island and I still get a bit of a fire in my belly knowing full well that uh, September at Sandown is, uh, is when it all starts. It's a full month before Bathurst. They both run 161 laps, one's half the distance of the other. Yeah, I, I fully concur. Once we get through the final event, before the first race of the Endurance Championship. You tend to have a week to reflect on where we are with the championship and then all of a sudden you start thinking about what might go on and maybe, well, it's boosted by the fact that it's Melbourne football finals time as well, well, certainly from the National Co, but there's a lot of the activity on in Melbourne as well. So definitely looking forward to um, to Sandown to kick things off and uh, yeah, seeing how the rest of the season rolls out and uh, looking forward to seeing the imminent announcements about some of the driver changes, which I fully predict will create five different drivers in five different seats as a result of one particular move that is going to be imminently announced. Mm, All right, then. We'll keep our eye on that one. And uh, also, I imagine that in the next coming weeks, Chris Jewell wouldn't be able to get on Inside Supercars because he's got Renault Gracie. I imagine there's going to be a huge ramp-up of activity that is going to keep you very busy. Yep, we'll be busy, all right, but that's okay. It's all par for course. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.